This is episode 92 of the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA. My name's Jonathan Wiley, and this is the point in the podcast where I like to say, Bonjour, midi. Oh. Ça va bien? Oh, no. And then I just say, Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just warming up for our guest today. That's right. I know. Yeah. Feeling a little fish out of water today. Me. Anyway. We're going very European on the podcast today. <laughs> or we will be shortly. That's right. Well, it's kind of a longer episode, so should we cut to the chase man? We probably should. Yeah, we got yeah. lots to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. So first in news and follow-up, I think in uh, previous episodes we've talked about Pixlr as mm-hmm. an online photo editing tool. They have come out with uh, the Pixlr for Education pack, which is some extra bonuses, extra nuggets, if you will, for teachers and students. You have full access to their Pixlr X and Pixlr E tools. You've got more okay. editing tools. You've got a Google Classroom integration coming soon. Right. You get like 7,000 extra icons and stickers. You get 7,000. Did you say 7,000? 7, <laughs> I know. <laughs> go bigger, um, go home. And it's also ad-free. So, you know, it's uh, just a nice little extra bonus. I thought I'd throw it in there. It appeared in my inbox recently. You do have to, you know, apply and go through a process to get approved. But you just want to make sure that the right people are getting all the extra goodies. Right. If you're looking for an online photo editor, you need more than what comes on your Chromebook. Then uh, Pixlr have some really great tools to look at. Nice. Well, I added this link in about, and I'm I'm still like trying to wrap my brain around what's happening here. But um, so Flipgrid has updated their sharing permissions for groups and topics. So if in the past you've had a something that was um, listed under public. Yes. It is no longer public. And so you might have issues. And this goes to past ones, which I think is the tricky thing, is that now you need to go back and look at those permissions. Because, am I understanding this correctly? There are no public permissions anymore. You know, I was... I saw you added this to the doc, and I was just glad that you were the one that was (laughs) going to be explaining it. (laughs) So from my understanding, I mean, the reading reading I'm doing is that you have to either have it so that students can sign in with an email address, students can sign in with a username, or have access to it through Google Classroom. And I guess I don't know... I, I don't I don't know if that's just a link within Google Classroom and it'll take them directly there and then they will not have to log in because there's a Google authentication that happens between those two still or whatever. But if you have something that's public, it's not public anymore. So if you, you might just need to go back in. So I think there's a prompt underneath your um, any of those groups or topics that may have been public before and it might say something like your group is set to public and needs to be updated and then there'll be a link to show you how to do that, which I believe is also the link that we have in the show notes. And so I think I think for a lot of teachers, this is probably not a 
huge right. deal, but Agreed. if you do the kind of job that Mindy and I do, right. or you're an instructional coach in your building, and you've got all these boards, and you just want to get people on without the hassle of signing in and passwords and all the yeah. rest, what then, a pain. yeah, it is yeah. a pain, for sure. And I must, I'm a, I, I, when things like this happen, I always wonder, like, did something else happen? Like, yeah. Are they in lockdown yeah. because something happened and we what don't happened? know that something? Yeah. What happened? Why? <laughs> why are we doing this now? So, just to be aware, because um, I don't know that I saw this like pop into my inbox or anything. Did you? Are you the one that first mentioned it? Or I don't know. It was Amber, right? She went in and was like, "Is there just no public permission?" So I don't think any of us were aware of it until you go in there. So, um, just so you know. I guess it's possible you may have a board or two that you wanted, like, I don't know, grandparents or parents sure. to go and post on yeah. and things like that. Right. Flipgrid is tightening things up a little yeah. bit. Let's just leave it at that. That's right. Yep. New layout and features are coming to Google Meet okay. in the very near future. Next month, as we record in May, you'll see new things. So I included a link to a friend of the show, yeah. Eric Kurtz, oh, who put a nice hi, little Eric. blog post together. <laughs> <laughs> he's always on the blog post or always on the podcast he's always on the podcast One way or somewhere another. Yeah. yeah we weren't joking when we told him that he put together a nice little blog post that went over the main things that are changing and he's added another video to his google meet series that shows uh, some of those updates nice but basically they're moving all the controls down to the bottom bar Okay. At the bottom there. So, we, I mean, you had controls at the bottom, but up in the top right-hand corner was your, like, participant yeah. list and your administrator yeah. tools and stuff. That's right. all going down to the bottom now. Okay. You're getting more choice over your layout. You know, previously you had that little, yeah. a big black box that said, you're presenting to everyone that took up, like, two-thirds of the screen. It's like, this is a waste of space. Yeah, right. Um, That's going to be going away. You'll actually be able to see what you're presenting. And if you want... You can minimize it and like pin it so it's just a tile among all the other people on the call. Oh, nice. Okay. So you'll be able to see much more of your students while you're presenting. Basically, is the is the big thing there. Yeah. And you also got some options to um, like hide yourself or you know float yourself on top of the existing uh, grid layout. Yeah, it says up to 49 tiles at a time. So it'll be nice to be. That's what the one thing I always feel about with Google Meet is, you know, if you're talking to a group of people, it is kind of nice to be able to see their faces as opposed to just talking to your presentation screen. So it's a good, good upgrade, I think. Good job, Google Meet. You did it. Yay. <laughs> And maybe just as a as a quick addendum before we uh, jump into our guest here, there were some new Apple products released since the last time we were on air. So okay. I thought I'd ask Mindy if she's getting any new stuff. I am not. Uh, I don't think so. I stuff. guess I don't know. I you know I got rid of my Apple Watch. Is you did? Anything? Yeah, I haven't had my Apple Watch for years now. I feel I've like had, I haven't seen you for years. Yeah, I I don't <laughs> think I've had it for probably three three years. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it kind of puts out, and um, Steve was like, I'll get you another one for Mother's Day or something. I was like, I actually really enjoyed not having it on my wrist. So, yeah, I never replaced it. So what's new? Tell me, because I did not pay attention to this. So there's a new iPad Pro. So a new okay. iPad at the top of the line, expensive ones, the $800 and the uh, $1,200 or something, depending on which screen oh, size you get. Goodness gracious. 
The big change, I guess, with them is that the iPads now have the same processor as, like, the MacBooks. What? Yes, they have the same, you know, processor, the same CPU. It's (laughs) called an M1 chip. They're putting the same computing brain in the iPad that they're putting in the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro and the iMac and the Mac Mini. They all use the same chips now. So that's kind of interesting. So we'll see where that goes. It is kind of interesting. Huh. I don't know if it needs to be that powerful yet with the things that it can do, but maybe they're going to yeah. change up the software and make it more powerful sure. and give it more things to do. Hmm. There yeah. are new iMacs. I know we have iMacs in some schools, mm-hmm. but um, these ones are almost impossibly thin. They're like, I don't know, 11 millimeters thin or something like that. What? And they are come in awesome. like six different colors now. So okay. Fresh colors. Like and them. then we have AirTags, which are... Kind of like tile trackers that you can use yeah. to stick on your stuff and uh, find it when you lose your keys or your bag or stuff your like children. That. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Annie, just put this in your back pocket, sweetie. There you go. You could put one on your dog tag or your dog's uh, <laughs> yeah. collar or something yeah. like that, and it's track an expensive your dog. dog tag, but you know, whatever. Yeah, but they're only twenty nine dollars. Oh, really? What? Yeah, it's so I know. Affordable. For Apple, I thought. I was expecting yeah. like twice that. Price. Don't undersell yourself, Apple. And you can replace the battery in them. Oh. Which is not a very Apple thing either. So No, it certainly yeah. is not. Wow. Apple's really really changing its brand with air tags. Yeah. Oh, nice. All right. Just a quick roundup of some Apple things for mm-hmm. the Apple people who listen to our podcast. Apple. All right. Well, let's move it along. All right, so up next, serve to you piping hot. As always, super weird when I say it, when the main course is Joe Dale. We're so happy that you're here, served piping hot. <laughs> lovely to be here. I always like to be served piping hot, I must yeah. say. It's the only way to be served, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we were laughing before we came on that um, it's odd how I'm the only, like, I have the Midwestern accent, and I'm a little out of place. American podcast, and here I am with the Midwestern accent, and no one comes for the Midwestern accent, right? <laughs> so, Joe, welcome. Can you tell us a little bit, as Wiley always asks, you know, who is Joe Dale? Where are you coming from? Okay, well, first of all, I'd really like to thank you for letting me come onto the podcast. I'm a big fan. Uh, I have been right from the word go, uh, and I love the the audio quality that you have in the podcast, which I know you... You, uh, you take a lot of time and expertise uh, creating that. So it's absolutely lovely as a fellow podcaster to be on your podcast. So um, who is Joe Dell? That's a question, right? So I'm a former languages teacher. Uh, I taught French for 13 years, uh, three years at secondary school level, and then 10 years at middle school level on the Isle of Wight, which uh, is a very, very sunny normally. So uh, coming in, well, not exactly coming in piping up right now because it's now... Um, eight o'clock in the evening but uh, during the day it's obviously piping hot the whole time it's lovely mm-hmm. and um for the last 10 years or so i've been an independent languages consultant and i normally travel around the world um doing training and speaking at conferences here there and everywhere i've been to i've been to north america for example i've i've been to australia and new zealand and the middle east and all over europe and and, and so on and so forth and of course since the pandemic I've had to do all my uh, all my work via webinars, um, as well as a bit of podcast editing as well. I've ju- I've been recently commissioned to uh, 
edit a, a podcast. And I'm in, in um, discussion at the moment about editing another podcast, which I'm very excited about because it just makes a bit of a difference from uh, all the uh, constant preparation for webinars. But that's a little bit about me anyway. And I'm also, uh, according to The Guardian, the man behind the MFL Twitterati, which I'm sure we'll come on and speak more about later on as well. Well, you're clearly much more interesting than we are. (laughs) (laughs) You win. Big star. Gold star by your name today. (laughs) Thank you. So, Joe, every every teacher takes their path and ends up specializing in, in the content area that they specialize in. How did you end up in the foreign language arena? Well, I suppose um, when I was at school, um, languages as well as maths were, were sort of the subjects I was best at. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in going for the things which you're naturally good at. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I did my exams in. That's what I did my, well, my, for my degree, I did, uh, French and linguistics cause I've always been interested in languages. Um, I, I don't know where that came from exactly. I mean, both my parents, um, can speak languages, um, and, uh, one of my brothers speaks languages as well. So I think that's probably where, it, where it came from, but it was, it was just that I was naturally good at learning languages. And I think I've naturally got a good memory. And so that really helped. And then from there, um, when I had the opportunity as part of my degree to um, have a year in France, that's when it really, really, really took off, I think. Um, I was lucky enough to be a student uh, at a university in the south of France in Montpellier and uh, had an amazing time speaking French in various coffee shops and not necessarily going to the lectures that I was supposed to be going to. But I thought, well, what's the point being in a, in a lecture with, say, 60 people and not saying anything compared to being in a in a cafe with French people speaking in French. So that's what I decided to do. And then I finished my degree, and then I had two years in uh, French speaking Canada, uh, in Quebec, uh, and I was an assistant there. And um, that's why I got a, a taste for um, teaching, which is one reason I wanted to do that. Um, having sort of come from a family of teachers, um, I thought it would be a good idea to. Uh, uh, to learn the ropes a little bit and get a taste of what it was like. And then I, so I did that. I had an amazing time, came back, did my uh, teacher training. And then, yeah, the rest is history, really. How many languages do you speak, Joe? Right. So I taught French yeah. um, for 13 years, but I also learned Spanish as a child as well, which I, I went up to A-level, which um, um, which stands for advanced level. So I did six years of Spanish at school. Um, but I've not, uh, I've never taught Spanish and I haven't, um, uh, practiced my Spanish much at all in, well, I won't say how many years, but one or two years. Uh, but I have been to Spain a few times in the last few years and I've always enjoyed trying to work out what people are saying and having, you know, I can still, you know, have uh, basic conversations with people. Um, but, uh, yeah, those are, those are my main, my main languages. I don't have any German at all. I don't have any Mm-hmm. Mandarin Chinese, but uh, my French is still pretty good, I must say. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, I know I've said this to Mindy before, I think, but you know, here in the United States, the Spanish is like your the second language or the first foreign language that you you learn. But in the UK, mm-hmm. it's usually French. And given the the geography, I, I remember growing up, we used to go to France for our summer holidays quite a lot. So in uh, Brittany, northern France, uh, for sure. So um, yeah, I have fond memories of, of that and of learning French and I did some German at a le- uh, not at A-level these were this was a long time ago maybe you'll you'll know this at Hires was it Hires it was my higher grades yeah I did higher grade German yeah. so yeah so what was that like what was it like learning languages uh, in Scotland at the time 
Um, I mean, it was probably different to what it is now. It was it was a lot of a lot of memorization, and and I I don't know if I fully had a grasp of you know like the the, the structures of of the language. But um, every so often, I think my school would have these um, students, uh, like exchange students, that would come across, and you know they would talk to us and and help us out with some things because you would you would learn language by the book, but you know how people actually talk it and and speak the language is a little bit different sometimes a bit more colloquial sometimes and so we would pick up that a little bit more from our French student and things like that too awesome I mean one of the things which, which really hit me when I first heard your your fantastic podcast is the fact that of course I thought, oh right Jonathan's from Scotland I had no idea because we've been following each other for like I don't know how many years quite a few years certainly and I've been bookmarking all these different blog posts that you've been writing about EdTech and what have you. And then, of course, I heard your voice. I thought, oh, right, you're from uh, the United Kingdom. It was really funny. So um, there it we are. Really and, funny, as I said, it's right. lovely to be on here. <laughs> and I, I love the rapport that you have between the two of you as well. It's absolutely fantastic. Oh, <laughs> Brilliant. There's a lot of times I look at him, I'm like, does that make sense to you? Do you know what that means? And he's like, no, can you give me just a little bit of a background knowledge? <laughs> and a lot of times it's just cultural references, right? Like things that happened when I was a kid that he wouldn't necessarily, you know, have experienced. So we do um, often joke about that. So it's so you guys have been following each other on Twitter for a very long time. I'm imagining that the connection between the two of you is ed tech, right? So um, what are some really interesting um, ed tech tools, Joe, that you find really intriguing or you feel like are going to shift education? Are there things that you're really excited about that, you know, you'd want to share? Yeah, sure. I mean, so the main thing I've been doing for many, many years is is uh, like Jonathan as well, constantly searching for you know the latest um, edtech tool that could be useful for language uh, teachers. So I'm always looking um, through uh, Twitter and through blog posts with like um, a language teacher lens, as it were. And I would say that during the uh, the pandemic, in particular, um, the sorts of tools which have proved really popular are things such as um, whiteboard.fi, which has um, gone down a storm amongst uh, teachers in the way that they can just simply replicate the sorts of activities they were doing in the classroom face-to-face with mini whiteboards, but just uh, use the digital equivalent. Um, That's a really popular one, I think. Another one which has proved really popular, which maybe is not as well known, is uh, spiral.ac, which I only heard about back in uh, November last year. So we have this event in... um, normally in London, uh, face-to-face in London in in Olympia, called The Language Show. And it's normally the biggest event of the year. And you get about, you know, I don't know, seven, 8,000 people that go to it. And of course, November last year, it was online for obvious reasons. And we have this uh, show and tell um, event, which we always have every year. But of course, as I said, it was online. And there was a, a teacher there from the Middle East, who, well, who's from the UK originally, but she's teaching in the Middle East, called um, Laura uh, Causa, at C-A-U-S-E-R, and she introduced um, us to Spiral.ac, which you'd not heard of before. And um, uh, for those people that haven't heard of it, you have get a number of different activity types that you can uh, get with the tool. And the one that proved the most popular is called Quickfire Lite. And essentially what it allows you to do is it allows you to um, uh, uh, create um, a, a question. So you say the question out loud over Zoom or whatever you're using, or I suppose you could use it in a hybrid context as well. And then the students then all write their answers down on their own individual uh, whiteboard. But as opposed to whiteboard.fi, which allows you to draw and to add pictures, it only allows you to add text. 
But the feature that people seem to really, well, there's a few features that people really like. It's, one is the hide names option. So it means that the, the children are not comparing their work with someone else's work. But also they have the correct and the improve button. So if the teacher clicks correct, anyone who's got the same answer, it'll be marked as correct. Uh, and if they click improve, it means that the uh, the student that has had their, their improve button clicked, they can then improve their answer because their um their whiteboard then goes back into edit mode, and so people have really liked that. Um, particularly those people who like the idea of you know retrieval practice. There's a lot of interest in evidence uh, an evidence based approach, um, certainly in language teaching in the UK at the moment, and so this idea of retrieval practice and drawing on um, uh, what the students have done in previous um, previous lessons and as a sort of a reminder of uh, they've made a mistake, but the teacher's not telling them what the mistake is. They have to work it out for themselves. That's really good for retrieval practice. So those are a couple of tools. I, I mean, for speaking, uh, Flipgrid is uh, is an obvious one. Um, we've been doing a lot of presentations around Flipgrid. Um, also a new one, which um, I'm not sure if you've heard of, called Quicker, which is Q-W-I-Q-R, so it's like Flipgrid, but it's um, audio only. It was developed mm. by a, a physics teacher in the southwest of England. Um, so made by an educator, which is always good news, I think, in lots of ways. And so what happens is, well, there's two ways of using it. There's the what's called quicker conversation and then uh, just standard quicker feedback. So the quicker feedback option is when you record one piece of audio and you can automatically um, align it to a QR code. So you can print out a PDF of QR codes uh, you can then record audio for an individual uh, QR code. So then you can then print it out, cut up the QR codes and put them into, say, exercise books or jotters, as you'd say in Scotland, yeah. <laughs> um, and then put, the, put them uh, on a wall display maybe. But in a COVID-safe environment, that's not really a good idea. So I would recommend using the quicker conversations option, which if you click on that, what you can do is you record your audio. You can also add an image, um, some text and a web link if you want to as well, all for free. And then you then post that. Uh, it, it creates a page. You can share the link of that page in, say, the chat in a Zoom call or a Teams call or what have you. And then all the students have to do is click on that link and they can record their answers. So in other words, uh, you as the teacher could record some audio, maybe introducing a topic or maybe doing the first line of a, of a conversation, share that link with an individual student so they could then record a back and forth conversation for, say, exam uh, exam role play practice that sort of thing or you could uh, share a link with a group of students in a breakout room and they could all give a summary of what they've been talking about those sorts of ideas um and it's free um and the audio is um deleted after i think three months but you can always right click any of the players that appear automatically and download the audio as well um you could also moderate the audio as well which is brilliant so it means mm. that when the um the students are um, posting their answers onto the screen. The teacher sees approve or delete, so they can listen to everything before the other children can hear um, what the other students have done. And if the teacher decides that he doesn't, he or she doesn't want um, the other the students to hear the audio, then they can just leave it as it is um, and not not click either approve or delete. But the fact you can moderate it is great. And there's also the la the last option is you can. Um, click on lock conversation and that means that nobody else can then post to that uh, that URL. So it's a really, really mm -hmm. slick tool and I've been trying to sort of talk about it in lots of different presentations because I think it's fantastic for languages for sure, but you could use it in other subjects as well. But I think for languages, it's brilliant. Yeah, I really love hearing examples like that because I think one of the hardest things for like Mindy and I when we go into 
schools to work with teachers is that you know you get you get a whole group of teachers at, at once and they teach math and science and ELA and and all the different curricular subjects and you know we we were both elementary teachers by trade and we pick up things in other places but you know I think that's that's one of the reasons why I I like following people like yourself because I get to see examples of what you know other teachers are doing and you know sometimes it's hard to find examples for the PE teacher or the you know the foreign language teacher or the art teacher using technology and you know you can think of easy ones for math and and language and and things like that sometimes but yeah just to get a good rounded education of of everything that's going on out there yeah definitely and and i think also on that on that point i think you know being part of a um a, a social media network or community um, and obviously, there are you know different ones for different subjects, but certainly languages. There's the the MFL Twitterati, which I've helped to set up, and then the equivalent of of in the uh, US of LangChat. But being able to say search for the hashtag MFL Twitterati plus a keyword, such as for example Quicker or Flipgrid or uh, something around say a skill like speaking or listening or what have you, then that's a really nice way of being able to get to the good stuff or the nuggets to refer to the show. Yeah. Um, uh, that you can you can find you know no time at all if you were to do a ten minute search for a, um, that, the hashtag plus a keyword I'm sure that you would find some fantastic nuggets in that time so that's why I think that hashtags for following threaded conversations or for um, finding your tribe as it were to use an expression is really really valuable and that's one reason why I've spent so much time in in the last uh, ten years or so trying to build that community but thank thank goodness we have that now in the in the pandemic because it's been it's been amazing the way in which people have shared ideas on a on a regular well on a daily basis um uh, shared uh, you know padlets or or wakelets which is another really you know popular tool at the moment amongst the MFL Twitterati and and then different people have been appearing on podcasts and lots and lots of different webinars and, and so on and so forth so it's been a fantastic coming together coming together that's been one of the silver linings of this whole situation i think well, you know, I noticed that, I mean, the tools that you shared, something that was missing from there would have been things that I thought you may have mentioned, which have been like Google Translate or the um, Microsoft Translator. And Jonathan and I share those things because we're like, oh, that one's an easy one for us. But I'm now, you know, having an expert to talk to. Is there a role for those types of translation tools or, or how do you see them being used and in, in t- with teachers and students that are learning foreign languages? You know, are we are we providing the wrong advice for people? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think um, Google Translate, et cetera, are, you know, they're double edged swords on yeah. the one hand. Um, they could be seen as a as a menace and a, and a pain from the point of view um, that uh, you know if a student doesn't want to do their homework and thinks that right. they'll just put it through Google Translate. And right, that would have been me. I'm raising my virtual hand. That was me. For the for me. the benefits of the Zoom call, Mindy is putting her hand in the air. Mindy yes. is putting her hand in the air. Um, so uh, for the yeah, so some students they they think that the teacher will never know that right. they put their right. work through Google Translate, but of course. You know, the teacher can see that immediately and, and wonder why in uh, in their first year that the uh, that the student is using the past historic, for example, or whatever it might be. Um, so I think on the one hand, it's um, and because Google Translate um, is getting better and better all the time, then if you're talking about sort of simple structures, it would be impossible, more or less impossible for the teacher to know whether mm. the student has used Google Translate. If you're talking about... Um, language which is much more detailed 
then it's more it's much easier to to for the teacher to see that the student has used Google Translate mm-hmm. if if the level of the output that's been produced is far higher than what the sure. teacher is used to seeing from the student then it's of it's obvious and then the issue is how does the teacher deal with that Do, does the teacher have a you know a polite conversation with the student does the teacher say well could you translate can you tell me what this means this this work you've submitted and of course it become you know things will unravel pretty quickly if they've used google translate yeah. so i think those sorts of things but then you can also have the situation whereby you know the the parents might be very defensive of the of the of the child which can happen uh for sure and then the parents might say yes of course it's their own work of course how dare uh-huh. you imply that it's they're using google translate and then yeah you one has to have that professional conversation around that so i think it it can be a real thorn in the side of of of, mm-hmm. of teachers language teachers in particular and yeah. um i certainly know there are some teachers who won't set written homework because of the of the fear or the annoyance of the student some students i'm not mm-hmm. trying to tar every student of course with this but some students thinking oh well they'll just put it through google translate and the sure. teacher won't know or or they don't care what what have you but on the other hand on a more positive note i think google translate or translation um tools in general can be very good for things like you know identifying um how how idioms work for example so mm. you might have an idiom uh in english and to translate it word by word it wouldn't work in the sure. in the target language you have to find the equivalent and i think that's really fascinating and interesting but maybe for the for one of a students that had a bit more time to learn a bit more of the language but i think that i i certainly think that google translate and such like can be used in a positive way but i would imagine most the way that most students are using it is um to try and get their homework uh, finished without having to think about it and then of course the teacher then has to go through the steps that i've talked about already so right. it it's a pain but it's also can be a very um positive thing uh, sorry positive thing as well i think I think it's one of those things sometimes like, um, you know, if a student copy and pasted a paragraph out of Wikipedia, you could probably pretty quickly notice that that's not their natural tone or, or, or thing like that too. So I'm sure it's probably similar for language teachers. And, and not everything like translates all that well sometimes. Like, you know, you could put in what you wanted to say and give it to Google, but that's not necessarily the best translation or, or how you would say it or what you're being asked to to translate it as. I mean, I, I watched an interesting YouTube video just the other day, and it was about how Shakespeare, um, the works of Shakespeare, doesn't translate very well in French because he uses iambic pentameter, which, which uh, emphasizes every like second syllable or something. And then in, in French, you emphasize the last syllable. And so you don't get that lyrical kind of hmm. beat that goes along with it too. So yeah, just uh, that stuff kind of fascinates me for sure. Absolutely. And, and just a, another little trick I've just thought of as well. Um, a friend of mine, Vincent Everett, who is a head of languages in uh, in England, in um, Norfolk, what he does is he gives the students a text, but he puts in, um, I think, like, say, one word or a couple of words, but he makes them very, very small. And then he makes them the same colour as the background. So, <laughs> so they appear cool. invisible. Right. So, so it could be, I mean, I don't know the word he uses, let's say penguin, right? So then, um, the students will then translate that text. He can then change the color of the text so it's the same, or if they've done it automatically, uh, and then he can see that that word, like penguin, sure. as it were, and immediately know that they've used Google Translate, which I thought was quite a cool idea. That is a good <laughs> idea. So I think that I, um, with the Google Translate, I've had this question, and so I'm, I'm going to ask it from you. I have teachers who use 
that type of tool to communicate with families that, you know, English is not their primary language or they may have no English whatsoever. And so I've often been asked, you know, how successful is that translation? So would you say if um, one of the things we should definitely recognize is like slang or idioms or, you know, just those little tweaks in language, but would you say that that is a great tool to use or is there something better that would help with the translation to different languages if if teachers are trying to communicate with families at home? Um, I think with any translation, you get a good, you know, gist of what someone is saying. As mm -hmm. I said, I think Google Translate, for example, is getting better and better yeah. and better. So if you're talking about like individual sort of sentences, it will probably do a really good job in um, translating it perfectly. If you're talking about, um, you know, much, much longer bit, uh, bits right. of text, then there might be, you know, cultural differences. There might be, sure. as Jonathan was saying, you know, differences in tone, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that... A, a speaker of the different language can get a gist of what the text is about. It doesn't have to be absolutely perfect, but mm -hmm. they can get a good gist of what it's about. And there might be some inaccuracies or misunderstandings because um, Google Translate has, has translated, you know, the incorrect word, as it were. But I think um, out of all the options out there, I think that um, Google Translate and Microsoft um, Translator are probably the best options, I would say. There are other ones as well. But I think, um, I mean, I think the example you've just given is really, really, really good use of Google Translate in order to help, let's say, if you have uh, parents of students who don't speak English who who want to get the gist of uh, of their their students' work or maybe a report or that sort of thing, I think that could be a really useful tool. But I think we're not quite there yet with simultaneous perfect translation um, using Google Translate or, or so on and so forth. But um, uh, who knows in five years' time? Yeah, right. You know. <laughs> so with great power comes great responsibility, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, Joe, you've been, uh, you've been working hard during the pandemic here. Why don't you tell us about these uh, webinars you've been creating? I'd love to. So um, back in March of last year, um, when the pandemic struck and uh, we went into our first lockdown, Literally within a few days, um, myself and my my friend Helen Myers, who's the chair of the London branch of the Association for Language Learning, we essentially both came up with the same idea, which was to uh, create a series of webinars um, under the uh, TILT series. So TILT stands for Technology Language Teaching. And um, Helen had been doing webinars for many, many years. I think she started about 2011, but but she was doing them, I think I might saying about once every six months, whereas we decided we were going to do them uh, like two a week. And then in Easter of 2020, we were doing three a week because there was such a need. At any point, did you think, what have we done? <laughs> Holy cow. This no, is a lot. No, well, good for you. Not, not that really. sounds like a lot of work. God bless you. Yeah. It was a lot of work. It was a. It has been a huge amount of work and it hasn't stopped yet. But I just morally, I felt it was the right thing to do. So essentially what we did was um, it was very much a team effort. Um Helen did all the web pages and setting up the Zoom um, account and everything. So we had like a we have a pro Zoom account with up to 500 people. And we have had some sessions when we had like 300 people watching live um, and uh, we stream on YouTube as well. But what what my main role was, was being like the digital scout, as it were, and to harness my professional learning network. And as I've sort of said already, I've been interested in this sort of area for many years. And so I was able to contact people from 
literally all over the world. And so we've had speakers from uh, the States. We've had quite a few people from the States. We've had people from Australia, from the Middle East, from Europe, and so on and so forth. And uh, I tried to make them very, very organized, the, um, the, like the series, by starting off with platforms. So we start off with a couple of teachers talking about um, using Google pla- uh, the Google platform and different ways in which they were organizing um, hybrid teaching, as it was at the time, uh, that they were doing there. Because there was one person in um, Abu Dhabi, one person in Hanoi. And then we went into um, looking at using um, Microsoft. So things like sort of um, class notebook, uh, Microsoft Teams, setting up uh, assignments and the things which we knew that people really wanted to know the the nuts and bolts uh, for. Because as we know, you know, it was like we went into emergency um, remote teaching and there were lots of people who were really, really scared and terrified, I'd, I'd have thought, and felt very, very anxious about being uh, you know thrown in at the deep end and that's why as i said morally i felt it was the right thing to do to to not to you know start charging people for x amount per webinar and what have you but just offer it all for free so that not only people would benefit from all this free um professional development but also it would harness the community the mfl twitterati community and it would give something really positive to get our teeth into I think during all the grimness mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and then from there we we got a bit more um, I suppose creative and we had uh, webinars around um, escape rooms and virtual adventures and bitmoji classrooms um, and then also in January of this year we decided instead of just repeating ourselves um, we decided to have sort of like clinic workshop type sessions um, which again, I think was my idea, which was essentially we'd have like a couple of speakers presenting, say the basics again of setting up um, a class notebook, but then encouraging people to ask questions and maybe they would share their screens and say, you know, I've got this particular issue around whatever it might be. And normally it was it was because they hadn't got the latest version. It was normally a question of them having to update the latest version. That sounds but just familiar. being able to ask questions like, OK, so are you using the app version? Are you using the web-based version of Teams, whatever it might be, or OneNote or what have you? And then um, and do that as well. But we, we're carrying on doing them. But we're, we're doing, on average, about one a week at the moment. We've actually got Wes Fryer, which I'm, who I'm really, really delighted um, about, um, who's um, coming up on Saturday. And he's going to – because he, he, he's not a – a language teacher, um, but he he had the opportunity of uh, teaching a bit of Spanish recently, which I know, so I noticed this on Twitter. So I got in contact with him, thinking he's never going to say yes. But I said, I don't suppose you could present for us for about an hour about using Minecraft and um, uh, Scratch, but in language um, in a language teaching context. And he said yes, bless him. You know? So <laughs> I was really really delighted. So uh, yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a real real creative journey. And it can be it can be a challenging thing to do. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, Mindy and I have had similar calls from from people over the last year, and it's it's not like we know the answers always all the time. It's not like we've had experience of doing this before. Like you said, we all just got dropped into it, and a lot of the time, it's just a okay. Well, well, here's here's what I would do. Here's here's the approach I would take, and 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 go from there. And you know, hopefully that that helps people. And I'm I'm sure your webinars do the same. Yeah. Well, originally, you know, it was like back in March. It was like I looked at my diary, and everything I had in my diary for like the next six months was suddenly wiped out, essentially. And obviously, I was able to persuade a few people who I was supposed to be going to visit face to face, including um, 
I was supposed to go into Italy at the end of March 2020, which was probably it was not the best place to go probably at the time, not, considering. No. <laughs> but um, but I was able to persuade them to uh, to let me do uh, a series of webinars, and then from there it sort of grew and grew and grew, and suddenly I was um, a bit too busy, to be honest with you, and I was um, yeah uh, working a bit too hard. But which I'm not complaining about. It's mm-hmm. it's it's good, and I'm really. I've really, really wanted to help people, and I, you know, bending over backwards, you know, trying to answer everyone's messages on Twitter and so on and so forth. But of course, at the same time, I have to make a living, and I'm, but I'm doing okay from that point of view. So it's just trying to get that balance, really, um, of uh, doing the right thing, as it were, but also doing doing what I need to do to to pay the mortgage and so on and so forth. Well, maybe on on that note, then, um, if you are looking for more emails or direct messages and tweets and things like that, how can people find these amazing webinars or, or get in touch with you and ask them all their modern language questions? Okay, so the the best uh, place to get me really is on Twitter, I would say. So uh, I'm just at Joe Dale on Twitter. Very, very easy. So I, I signed up in 2007. So it meant I was uh, able, one, to use my full name as opposed to using uh, my name plus uh, you know a few numbers or what have you, uh, and also um, yeah because of the fact I've been on on Twitter for whatever, whatever it's been now um, fourteen years or so coming up to fourteen years um, it, it's meant that I've been able to make all these fantastic connections with people and uh, yeah so that's that's a good place to start. I also have a podcast as well which is mfltwitteratipodcast dot com uh, for which we did ten episodes. I, I'm desperate to to do some more episodes, but um, I've been a little bit busy for the last year mm-hmm. and a bit, so I, it's 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 sort of a bit in in hiatus at the moment. But I would love to to get that going um, again. And everybody's welcome to come along to the the webinars. We normally have them at um, uh, eight o'clock BST, so British Summer Time in the evening UK time. So that would be sort of middle afternoon um, in the US, depending where you are. Um, and sometimes we have them at half past three in the afternoon to half past four on a Saturday. So that uh, uh, say people in the um, in the states or, or whoever it might be, whoever who ca- whoever can't do a, an evening slot on a Thursday can come along then. And a couple of them, when we've had people from Australia, they've been sort of like ten o'clock in the morning. So everybody's welcome, and the recordings are all posted on my YouTube channel, so you can you can catch up with them then. And I would really encourage people to to look at um, those video recordings because they really are some of the. Uh, I would say the cream of the crop, the cream of you know language teachers interested in technology in the whole world, and most people who I could think of who are, who I know are interested in language technology, I've asked, and there are other people who I'm still planning on asking. But I would say nearly everybody. I can't think of someone who said no when I asked them, and I <laughs> and I, I'm very persistent as well. There were some people I ha- I, I was chasing for a few, quite a few months, let's say, <laughs> but they said yes. Eventually said, as long as you stop contacting me, Joe. <laughs> yeah. yes. Whatever it takes. I'll right? do the webinar. It's okay. Just stop calling me. No. <laughs> but there we are. Yeah. Perfect. Me- needs must. <laughs> All right. So on to my favorite part of the show. Up next is Tech Nuggets. And Joe's sticking around for Tech Nuggets, right, Joe? Definitely. I've got a I've got a couple of tech nuggets I can mention myself if if that's allowed. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody gets a couple of tech nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, who wants to go first? I will go first then. Okay, okay. Um, and I'm going to start with one that we had recently here. We had a virtual conference um, here in Iowa just last week for iTech. And we've had some guests on here. We had Jen Giffen and Eric Kurtz on here talking about that. One of the sessions I went to was from um, my colleague in another part of the state, Seth Denny. 
And he did an interesting thing here where he took the computer science standards that we are all beginning to wrestle with here in Iowa mm -hmm. and crosswalked them with the social studies standards and showed where the comparisons and connections were. So it's just on a spreadsheet, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but he shows how, for instance, you know, you would say things like um, the social studies standard might be compare life in the past to life today with different communities and cultural groups, including indigenous communities. And then there's a computer science standard that says compare how people live and work before and after the implementation and adoption of new computer technologies. So this is a first grade standard for like six-year-olds. And I just thought it was a really interesting way. We're looking at ways to try and, you know, not have teachers reinvent the wheel and have to think about completely brand new ways of incorporating some of these computer science standards, but just looking at ways where we can make it, you know, seamless and have some natural connections. So I really appreciate that. And I look forward to Seth doing uh, math and literacy and art and P. <laughs> he's not doing all those. But <laughs> Poor Seth. <laughs> yeah. He, he's a social studies specialist, so he, and he, he loves the computer science. So he, it was a natural fit for him. So um, I actually have an instructional strategy called Pile of Words that Dr. Catlin Tucker just shared on a blog post uh, like this week, I think. It's fairly new. Um, I don't think the instructional strategy is new, but sometimes it's just nice to have those things kind of brought to your attention again. So the mm -hmm. way this instructional strategy works is that the teacher creates kind of a list of vocabulary words, and we know how important vocabulary is for um, for students, and they say that that's one thing that we are really lacking in instruction is with vocabulary. So um, the teacher kind of compiles, um, depending on student you know, grade level, um, 15 to 20 vocabulary words, maybe um, somewhere in there. And then it's kind of a collaborative activity too. So students get together and they um, look at the vocabulary words and try and figure out if they have a group definition for that vocabulary word. And then they start to sort those vocabulary words into um, categories. So there's lots of different grade skills involved in that. And then um, kind of as a culminating um, activity, they make predictions about what the next section of learning is going to be about by looking at those different categories of words. So the reason I think that this is an interesting instructional strategy is that we're especially, I mean, still trying to find strong instructional strategies that we know are powerful in ways that we can use digital tools with those instructional strategies if we need to. Um, and I think that with vocabulary words it, and doing sorting, I really feel like that's a hands-on activity. But that pile of words can't just go with every single student that was working with them. So a digital tool like Jamboard or even Google Slides, something like that, would allow for students to be able to take that pile of words with them as a collaborative activity. So they could still look back at those definitions of those words or the categorizations of those and use it as a study guide later or as a refresher later or tie-ins for later. Um, and so I was really appreciative of um, Catlin's blog post kind of bringing that back to the forefront. And also she has a couple templates that you can use. There is one way at the bottom of the um, template that is a way for you then to take those words and use them. I think throughout, I should have looked at this section probably a little bit more carefully, but there are, she's always very good about providing templates then with um, her ideas. So also if you don't follow her or get her blog posts, you definitely should because she's got all kinds of great um, blended and personalized learning ideas. So that's my 
I have a feeling that Joe could put a nice little foreign language spin on that one with all those vocabulary words. Yeah. I could actually. That my tech nugget. Um, oh, I can't believe I'm I'm on the on your podcast talking about a tech nugget. I'm really really flattered. Anyway, yeah, my tech nugget, so which um, I think leads itself nicely on from what you've just said in relation to Jamboard. Although you could mm-hmm. use this idea with Google Slides or PowerPoint or what have you, is uh, the following free web tool called GifCap. Dot dev. Have you heard of it? No. I don't think so. No, it's really cool. So okay. it's gifcap.dev. And what it allows you to do is it allows you to share your screen um, and anything that you record on the screen, it turns into an animated GIF. Oh, so, I for example, in Jamboard, you could create your different Post-it notes. Say in a languages context, you could create your Post-it notes for, say, different words or chunks, um, record your screen while you're moving the chunks into the correct order as it were mm-hmm. and then once you've done that once it's uh, finished capturing you just go back to gifcap.dev and click stop recording and then what you can do is you can put your cursor um, which is a cr- becomes a cross and you can then drag it over the section that you want to keep and everything else is deleted huh. so in other words in say Jamboard you just drag over the white section or you can do the same with PowerPoint or Google Slides so you wouldn't know which tool you're using unless of course you recognise the um the format of the post-it note but i just think that's really lovely and then you can also um like with flipgrid you can um remove the bit at the beginning the bit at the end you can't edit the bit in the middle but you can um top and tail and then you click render and you can download the gif so then having done that you could then for example upload that back into jamboard as a background so the students can't move it around it will just uh, be a model and then you could ask them to do the same mm-hmm. uh, showing other examples of word order using an animated gif um, that's one idea and then you can also use it for example for showing very simple uh, edtech techniques so for example i've shown people how to change the language of the bitmoji chrome extension so that all the the bitmojis that appear with text uh, can be changed from say english to french really easily Ooh. which if you don't know how to do, you do that you go to the the three dots, you, you you click the three dots top right in Chrome, you click settings, you click advanced, you then go to languages, and then you click add language, you choose the language that you want to add, and then you click on the three dots to the right of that language once you've added it, and it says um, go to top or send to top, I think it's go to top or move, move to top, I think it is. So you need to click move to top, and once it's on the top, when you then open up Bitmoji Chrome extension again, all the um, bitmojis with the text are now are now in that language. Hmm. And then from there, you can then right-click one, save target as, or drag and drop it into your Google Slides presentation or what have you. So um, I've actually made um, a GIF or GIF um, uh, for No, that no, no, using... don't you bring that in here. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> so is it, is it, is it gifcap.dev or gifcap.dev? It's quite difficult to say that. It's gifcap.dev yeah, right. mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that's another way of making nice little um, uh, gifts for edtech um, uh, ideas. I know mm-hmm. that you know Jake Miller's a big fan of doing those sorts of things as well. So I mm-hmm. think that uh, the quality of the final GIF or GIF is really good quality as well. It's not pixelated at all. It's mm. really really nice. And then from there, you can then embed it into Padlet or PowerPoint or wherever wherever um, accepts GIFs. So it's a really really nice one. I think there we are. Good one. Two for the price of one there, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> we got, got changing the foreign language like, in Bitmoji hmm. Chrome extensions. And now I can call people this. names in different languages. Oh, is that where you're going with that? Is that where your mind went, Mindy? <laughs> well, of course it is. Of course it is. Please. <laughs> 
All right, my second nugget. And, you know, I, I feel like there must be some mm-hmm. kind of divine providence here or something because, Mindy, you came up with that idea of sorting words around and grouping yeah. them up together. Well, my other yeah. tech nugget is called Circly App, which I came mm-hmm. across recently. And it's one of those ones I, I don't know, I look at it and sometimes I look at nuggets and I think, that's really cool, but I'm not sure what I'd use it for. And then sometimes I think, well, sure. that's absolutely genius. And I'm somewhere in between with this one. So, um, okay. But now I saw your instructional strategy, I think mm. it would be perfect for that. Mm-hmm. So it's a visual sure. organizer where you can group together different ideas into these kind of like graphic organizer type of tools. So Jamboard would be one way to do that with those post-it notes. Sure. But this is another option that you could explore um, that came out. I don't know when it came out. It came out recently. It just came on my radar recently. And it lets you um, create these virtual circles for uh, different ideas. So you could sort vocabulary. You could, um, you know, group um, like and unlike things. You could put, I don't know, chemicals from a periodic table together that are grouped by gases and um, all the different types of things like that. So... Yeah, I like that. I'm I'm looking forward to just thinking about different ways that you know, that could be used, but it seems to be 100% free right now. So it yeah. is circlyapp.com. I just saw that today too, and then saw you had it on the dock, and I was like, okay, let keep looking Beat for you to different technologies. Uh, so um, the one that I found, which is also a bit like this, is GitMind, which is a mind mapping tool, so kind of concept mapping. The thing that I find with concept mapping tools, it seems, is that you only get so far with a free concept mapping tool before you either have to pay or you only get like very minimal um, opportunities within that mind map. So this one is brand new to me and it's supposed to be completely free. So you should get all of the same exact features within a free account there is a paid account. You just can't, with the paid account, you get more exports for free. So, but the th- nice thing about it is that you still have all of those same tools. And I really like concept mapping. Um, and I think that a lot of times we provide concept maps for our students to just fill in and we don't give them enough opportunity to create their own connections and find different ways to provide visual representations of their thinking. And so the fact that this one has all of those capabilities inside of it, there's lots of templates, but it allows students to choose then which one they want. And they're not limited to the ones that we can only provide, you know, with the free tool. So um, yeah, Git as in G-I-T, so poorly, that's the Midwestern accent right there, Git mind. Um, so yeah, might be one worth looking at if you're into concept mapping. I like that one. Awesome. Can I do, can I do one final tech of nugget? Of course you that can. Hey. <laughs> so um, I'm a big fan of remove.bg. Do you know that one? Yes. Yeah. So remove.bg, uh, for those people that haven't heard of it before, is great for um, uploading uh, a picture of either it can be a, a human being or a group of human beings, and it just removes the background automatically, or it can be uh, a single uh, shape as well, or, or object with, um, with uh, let's say, if you've got a, a nice sort of consistent color background, it will remove that as well. And then you can then superimpose that in front of another image. So one thing I like to do on my training is showing, for example, say um, a website like photosforclass.com, which is really nice for royalty-free images, which give the attribution automatically in the 
the bottom of the uh, the picture, which is really cool. Um, and then you can then put that into, say, Google Slides or Book Creator or PowerPoint. And then you can then um, take a picture, put it onto remove.bg, and then drag and drop it onto uh, the background image. So as a result of that, you could have the students appearing in front of the Eiffel Tower or in front of a French cafe or what have you. And then you could also uh, put in you know, speech bubbles with embedded audio. Um, in, say, Google Slides, you could use the Moat uh, Chrome extension for adding audio really nicely as well. That's one idea. And then from the same company, there's unscreen.com, um, which... Um, I'm a big fan of Esther Park, who's doing a Tilt webinar for us actually in July. And one thing that she she really inspired me about was she um, uploaded her video into unscreen.com and it removes the background as well. And then she then uh, put that into, um, I think it was into Google Slides and made that into an animated GIF. There was another web tool uh, which allowed her to cut out a circle as a GIF, which off the top of my head I forget right now. But um, uh, it was very effective. And so I then went through and went step by step on how to do that myself, which is I've tweeted about it. It's on my, on my Twitter account. But I put it into a slide with um, uh, with me sort of, you know, doing this sort of thing <laughs> as an animated GIF. You know, for the benefit of the audio, I'm putting my, my thumbs you know, up in a celebratory uh, gesture. And then a few other people... Um, on Twitter then replicated the same idea, including Meredith White, who's a Spanish teacher from the States, who's amazing, who uh, uh, did uh, another one. And uh, yeah, so I think Unscreen and Remove.bg are two really cool tools for uh, making simple uh, creative effects, which um, can be really nice with um, with the, the, the stars, as it were, the people in those animated GIFs or those images being um, being the actors in their scenes, as it were. And I think that anything which is personalised in that way is something which is going to motivate young people, I think, for sure. Well, Joe, you are a gentleman and a scholar. We are very much appreciative of your company today. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll put links to everything you talked about in the show, but thank you for, for coming on and talking to us today. No, you're welcome. It's an absolute pleasure. It's been an honour. Uh, I'm really, really flattered that you said yes mm -hmm. when I approached you about this and it's been a, a real pleasure so thank you so much uh, for the opportunity it's been lovely so that's everything we have for this week until next time this has been the EdTech Takeout we hope it hit the spot for more information on today's episode please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast